W233AH Monticello. Welcome to the local edition, news and information. Keep you connected. Local edition on Radio Catsco, your NPR station for the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. Now for an update on a story we brought you brought to you earlier this week about the owners of the bar and nightclub, Cabernet Franks in Parksville. Wade St. Germain and his husband, R.G. Baker, and an ongoing dispute with their neighbor. For several years, they say they have been harassed by a neighbor for being gay. But that neighbor claims their dispute is not about sexual orientation. The Sullivan County District Attorney's Office confirms that the couple has a restraining order against the neighbor, Joe Peters, and that there's a long list of pending criminal charges. St. Germain and Baker were ordered to appear in Liberty Town Court on Wednesday to face misdemeanor charges. According to the Sullivan County District Attorney, Brian Connedy, the charges were related to the unlawful dissemination or publication of an intimate image, a Class A misdemeanor, and criminal contempt in the second degree. The charges stem from a from an incident that happened around January 20th. Quoting from the DA's letter to the court, the allegations here accused the defendants of filming the victim in violation of a civil court order while he was urinating and posting said picture on social media. It is further understanding that the defendants deleted this post from the social media shortly after posting same, end quote. Yesterday, the DA Connolly asked the court to dismiss the charges against St. Germain and Baker, quoting again from the DA's letter to Judge Troy Johnstone of the Town of Liberty Justice Court. Connolly said, although I certainly do not condone such behavior, I nonetheless have decided that the criminal prosecution of the above reference matters is against the interests of justice and therefore move this court to dismiss these charges. Also yesterday, Tim Bruno spoke with Joe Peters Jr., the son of St. Germain and Baker's neighbor, Joe Peters. When asked if he had any regrets about the dispute, he said he wishes it had not gone this far. I wish it wouldn't have went down this way. I, re- I really, really do. Um, we were friends in the beginning. We did their glass work. Him and RJ had like this little gathering to celebrate buying the business or the wedding. I don't know what they were celebrating, but they were celebrating something. We went to that. We did the glass work in their ha- in their uh, building. Um, you know, we were we were we were friends with them. We loaned them tools. So this really went south. Uh, I don't know if I have any regrets. I just maybe I just wish it wouldn't have went as far as it did on both ends. I think, it got, I think it got out of hand. Got out of hand on both ends. Peters Jr. also expressed a willingness to come to a truce and find a solution to this long-running dispute. We're willing to come to the table. I mean, it's got to stop. It really does. You know, Wade. You can hear Wade say this. I'm saying it. I willing to come to the table, drop charges on both sides, and we'll go from there. On Facebook, after the DA dismissed the charges against them, St. Germain and Baker said, quote, while the repairs a, while this repairs a miscarriage of justice, it does not address the fact that our stalker is free to harass us. This ongoing hate crime is still not being addressed and we are not safe. End quote. The Peters family continues to deny the allegations of homophobia and hate crime. You're listening to the local edition on Radio Catskill. We'll be right back. 
You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Donna Fellenberg here to tell you that this week on Catskill Character, my guest is the artist John Tomlinson. John is a proponent of the generosity model in which we respect all creatures and share what we have. Who wouldn't want to hear more? Please do this Saturday at 1030 on Catskill Character on Radio Catskill. Welcome back to the local edition on Radio Catskill, your NPR station for the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Patricio Robayo. It's Friday on the local edition, and every Friday we check in with the one and only Chris Rowley from the Shawankum Journal to see what's happening in Ellenville and Ulster County. Uh, Chris is on the phone with us now uh, to talk about the loss of a shop right in Ellenville. And what it means for residents. When it was announced that ShopRite will be closing in Ellenville, many took to social media to express concern on where and how far they would need to travel to buy food. Chris has an update for us on the situation and potential new buyers. Now, this week I spoke to a gentleman from SR Plaza Equity Partners. That's the group that bought the ShopRite Plaza and around $9 million. And, uh, and he was relatively upbeat, said that this was really was just a scrap of news, but it's good news, maybe. He said that basically uh, they were in conversations with little chains and brokers. That's what in the whole world of retail is that there are, there's a skill, uh, almost an industry of people who, are, who, broker, who broke, broker properties like that one to to various chains of grocery or whatever. So that offers a hope that if they're keen and they see that it's it's valuable, that another chain will come in and replace ShopRite in that location. It would be of enormous benefit to the area because oh, it's a full-service supermarket. That's the difference between the ShopRites and the Price Choppers and the Hannaford and all those sort of shops from your your Walmart, which has does have groceries, but and they're on the side, and they do make a little effort, but it's not it's not the same. It's not quite what you like, and of course they do compete on price. And I don't shop at the Walmart enough to really be aware of the differences, their price differences with the Shoprite. Although I'm sure there are plenty, but it's. It is an issue that a lot of people are concerned about. A lot of people prefer the ShopRite kind of experience to the Walmart experience. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. It was a ray of hope, and uh, I had a good conversation with the gentleman. He was not at all uh, defensive or, you know, I mean, some people are really strange when they're talking to a newspaper, but he wasn't. And uh, I'm really hopeful that uh, something will happen, come out of that, and something will happen to, to keep uh, a supermarket going in Wawarsing. Because it serves a wide area between Wawarsing up to Liberty. I guess that you've got supermarkets over in Monticello, uh, and at a certain point in Wawarsing and certainly in uh, surrounding towns, people will be drawn there. But in most of Wawarsing and Rochester and even up in, in Marbletown, they have a choice to make, go to Kingston or come down to the Allenville Wawarsing shop right plaza 
So we'll see. We'll see how that works out. He did say something that I thought was intriguing because Wakefern, the company that organizes and runs the ShopRite conglomerate, the ShopRite is, a, is an alliance of a lot of different uh, grocery groups, small groups that ally under the ShopRite banner and use their ShopRite central distribution system. But anyway, um, he said that despite what they may have said, the, the ShopRite store in Wawasing was not really underperforming. It wasn't a red-hot store like the one down in Goshen, but uh, it wasn't all that bad in terms of underperforming. So so uh, maybe that's a good sign, and maybe uh, we will see something, so another another chain come in. Certainly we hope so. So that was that story. Establishments like that, like ShopRite, has been there for so long. People are so used to doing their shopping. So with change, it's always a, a difficult thing. Change is difficult, and uh, there's a certain quality to a full-service supermarket that you're not going to get at a Walmart because uh, Walmart you know, is just enormous and there's a lot of space, but they handle things in a different way. And I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's just it's different, and it just feels different. And another story that we talked about briefly uh, last week was the, the taxes owed. Um, uh, yes. Those yeah. who are delinquent, they get published in the newspapers. It's a very common thing that does happen. This Saturday is going to be a sort of a foreclosure clinic. What can you tell us about what's going on here? Okay, first, yes, this week in the Shangam Journal, we had uh, we had a two-page ad from the village running all the delinquent taxes, and uh, that's, that 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 sets some people up and writing checks. <laughs> people, there were people who were a little bit embarrassed by being put in there. Um, so I believe the village got some money out of it, probably paid for itself that ad and then some. Um, so anyway, yeah, it, this is a big question that's on the minds of many people. And therefore, I was interested to see that St. Paul's AME Zion Church at, on, at 156 Center Street in Allenville they're having a property tax foreclosure clinic on Saturday, February the 10th. Um, and uh, they're offering private appointments to talk about your own problems with the phone number and everything. Uh, if you're behind on your property taxes, come to the foreclosure property tax clinic and, clinic and uh, discuss your issues with experienced attorneys. That could help some people if they've really fallen far behind. Um, and if they realize that the village of Ellenville is moving towards a foreclosure auction with the Auctions International, which that will probably take place sometime this summer. If you're behind on your property taxes in the village and, you know, you can do anything about it, you know, get to it because they're going to sell your property if, if they can foreclose on it. Well, I think that's a, an interesting aspect of the current crisis affecting Ellenville. Ellenville you know, has a budget crisis and the village is setting up to have a uh, mandatory referendum um, to use some of the so-called mountain money, which was the remainder of the $3.88 million that they got for selling their square mile of the Shangam Ridge to OSI back in 1997. And issues, we've discovered that, the, that Allenville has had budget issues for a long time. Um, and it's part, mostly due, I think, to the fact that uh, uh, the village has been dependent on factories, and the factories have all closed. So it, 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 nothing could be better for Ellenville than to have Crisco Labs succeed in getting approvals from the state to operate the way they want to and 
build an enormous growing facility uh, in Wawasing just outside the village. It would create jobs and all the rest of it. But unfortunately, the question of cannabis in, in New York State is just completely messed up or complicated by the desires of the people on the uh, Office of Cannabis Management and the control board. But they're trying to do something that's very difficult and it just, so far, it, the progress has been like that of a snail. It really is very slow. And now I've heard that there's an, another lawsuit blocking progress. The lawsuit claims discrimination, I think this is right, against white men. I don't know if that's true. I've got to check that out. But it's the sort of thing that we should expect in this era. But come on, let's. We need. We still don't have a dispensary. I don't think for retail in Ulster County, and it's cannabis has been legal here for years. But you can't buy it in Ulster County. You can have to go to the city or somewhere else for for retail. So that's another story. But you know, it's just an example of all the things that have occurred that have made life for the village of Allenville difficult. Um, anyway, the, that issue will be coming back. We'll be looking at it again. And while we're on it, this week I did something that was necessary and which we should have done years ago, uh, dove in on the issue that Ellenville has had in retaining a treasurer. And what does a treasurer do? And where does a treasurer's duties end and those of a village manager begin? It's important, really, to know this. And what we discovered was that due to state law, the treasurer's are the fiscal officers, the chief fiscal officers of the municipality that they are working in. And village managers are budget officers. So what that means is that the treasurers put together the numbers and they keep a constant record of them through the year. There's an awful lot to a treasurer's job, a lot, about 30 things that they have to do. Uh, but it's that constant keeping up, knowing exactly where your municipality is in terms of what's coming in and what's going out. And then come budget season, they present those numbers to uh, the village manager. And then the village manager goes to all the department heads and says, this is this, this is that, uh, what can you cut? Or what, we've got a little extra money, what can we spend it on and help your department? But usually, of course, they're looking for cuts. And so there's the difference. The village managers don't actually really in their normal line of work, handle the day-to-day -day fiscal stuff. That's done by a village treasurer. But Ellenville's not being able to retain a village treasurer, so the manager has, in a sense, been flying blind. And it makes life very difficult for him and for the village. Anyway, they have a new software system. It's called AccuFund. It has a municipal aspect to it, uh, and that municipal aspect is very... New York friendly. And so uh, the village manager is hoping to be able to do a, have a better grasp of what's going on all the time, even without a treasurer. Treasurers, by the way, get paid a lot more than village managers. Treasurers are a rare breed. I, my analogy on treasurers is left-handed major league baseball pitchers. If you're a left-hander, got the three good pitches, you've got a career ahead of you. <laughs> that, that, that's a good analogy. I like that. Yeah, they're rare. How many Ron Guidry's have there been? It just, they just, it's not an easy thing. Anyway, you know, this is the issue that they're rare and they can well into six figures uh, for their treasury job anywhere. And the village of Ellenville just hasn't been able to afford them and, and needs help to do that. A lot of things going on. 
And the other thing, aspect of this which people might be interested to know is there's the Finance Review Board of New York State, which will be meeting in June and meets every year to contemplate uh, the plights of municipalities that are in trouble. And Ellenville has applied, and the village manager and uh, his bookkeeper, deputy treasurer, whatever, are working frantically to get all the um, all the books balanced and, and ready so they can take them into the financial review board, a fiscal review board, whatever, and have a shot at getting a grant or a loan from the state to make things work for the next year or two. But longer term, something else has to happen, and I'm not sure what it will be yet, and that's something that people in the village have to work out. And that might be, and this is the huge question, that we will be at the Shangam Journal, we're going to be examining this one very shortly, police. If the village can't really afford a police department, then what can replace it? I know that the police chief and the department have worked very hard to cut costs wherever they can. They've gone mostly part-time. Uh, they've got, uh, I think they're very careful with money. But the question remains whether the village, in its straightened circumstances, can actually afford them. And that's something that they're going to have to investigate. So if they can't, then uh, well, we'll be talking to the Ulster County Sheriffs. <laughs> There's one figure row up there. And uh, what can they do? Can they come in, put in extra deputies to uh, police the village. It, this will be an issue for the county if if it goes that far. Well, we don't know yet. Uh, and maybe there'll be some other, something else that comes in that will provide money to help the village through the situation. So that's a story that we're working on, and there'll be more details about that soon in journal. Um, and yeah, if you've got a property tax problem and you live in the village, this foreclosure clinic on February the 10th at AME Zion Church would seem to be a good one. It's just two hours, and there is parking there, and you can nip across the street to Morning Sunshine, mm. which is everybody's favorite little coffee place. These foreclosures do happen, and you know you can say at least the village is giving an opportunity for folks to reclaim their homes, to get caught up, or whatever thing they have to do to rectify the situation. Uh, but like I said, this also is an opportunity for a lot of people who want to develop and want to build or want to own. Uh, I've, I've been to some of these foreclosure auctions, and they are, they are packed. There are a lot of people there. Um, yeah. Who, and, and I've noticed that a lot of them are looking for development and buying property. This is a good way for them to do it, it seems like. Yes, definitely. No, but another aspect of it, which I've learned just recently, is, the, is that, um, um, that it, it's not – it's quite a lot of paperwork and it's quite expensive to set things up for a foreclosure auction, which is one reason that Allenville hasn't done it in, in recent times. And the difference this time is that they have this opportunity to work with Auctions International who will do it all. They do it soup to nuts. They come in, they do the paperwork, they inform people who are going to get foreclosed and be auctioned, bang, if that's happening. They have, they already have everything that an auction house needs because they've been in business forever. And it's just instead of selling off trucks, they're selling off homes, properties. Yeah. So that's what's being set up. Uh, and so the village can use that. And that will ha- attack this 850, 900 grand tail of long unpaid village taxes that uh, has been a kind of a crippling burden. And people who are on that need to take note that they're, they're going to get foreclosed and sold uh, if, they're not, if they don't pay up. 
that's in the works. And I know that the village manager is really hoping to see a reasonable return from the auction process. Because some of these people haven't paid their taxes their 10 years, 6, 7, 8, 9 years out of date. We were talking to Chris Rowley from the Schwankirk Journal. As always, Chris, thank you so much for joining us on the program. And we'll talk to you again next week. Yep. Right, you too. Okay. Bye-bye. And moving right along, February is National Children's Dental Health Month, a month dedicated to raising awareness and promoting benefits of good oral health to children. Radio Casco's reporter, Marin Scotton, spoke to Dr. Cecilia Estrada, dentist and administrator of Upper Saws Children's Dental Health Program. February is National Children's Dental Health Month. Today, we have Dr. Cecilia Escara, dentist and administrator of the Prasad Children's Dental Health Program, which delivers dental services to children in Sullivan and Ulster County. She joins us to speak more about her work and the importance of accessible dental care and dental hygiene awareness for children. My name is Dr. Cecilia Scara. I am the administrator of the Prasad Children's Dental Health Program, and I have been working with the organization since 2002. So it has been a wonderful journey together. And the mission of Prasad Children's Dental Health Program, or Prasad CDHP, is to improve the oral health of children by providing education, prevention, and treatment. And our clinic goes to the schools. We are um, an Article 28 uh, health care center approved by the New York State Department of Health. And this is important because by being at the schools, we are where the children are. Right? Children go to school. So in this county, we limit the transportation. We help parents by providing services right at the schools, you know, with their permission, of course. And also we provide uh, dental education. So last year we celebrated 25 years. So now we're moving to the 26 years of serving the children in Sullivan County. And every year, approximately 4,000 4, children benefit from, you know, our education, dental, uh, dental treatment. Why dental health and dental care is important. Uh, you, many of you may be available or not that in the United States, dental diseases are the number one chronic illness of this childhood. Every year, 51 million, look, 51 million school hours are lost because of children with dental diseases. And a child who has cavities and has pain cannot eat, cannot sleep, cannot learn, and also affects their smile and affect their future, right? Because when you are not confident or affect your self-esteem, it could have, you know, a negative uh, consequences for, for the future. So that's basically what we do. And we love what we do. Still, there is a lot of work to be done in the community, but that's, that's where we are. We are, we're committed, you know, to, to continue providing dental services here in Sullivan County. And like you mentioned, you've been doing this work since 2002. What does it mean to you to be able to do this kind of work? And what is, what are some of the biggest impacts you've seen in the community over the last 25, 26 years now? Oh, wonderful question. I, I am a dentist and of course, I, I love my private practice in the past, but being with Prasad is, is meaningful because we provide dental services to children that without us, they would not receive it. So 
we have been serving three generations. That's the impact. Uh, every time I go to the clinic, I had the opportunity to speak with parents and some of them, they tell me they were our patients uh, or they were grandmothers who their children and grandchildren come to us. And uh, late last, I think a couple of months ago, I interviewed um, one uh, mother and, and she said, oh, I, I think I was one of your first patients in 1998. Uh, and, uh, and now I bring my three children and I cannot think of taking them to any other place because I feel safe and I feel comfortable. And I think that's the best answer to the question about the impact, right? Uh, we could also talk about numbers, but for us, it's important to provide high quality treatment as well as giving children a great experience. The mm -hmm. first time you come to the dentist is so precious that it is so important that you have a good experience. So the rest of your life, you will feel good, you know, going to the dentist and, and having good oral health. Yeah. And I know you guys just got a new mobile dental health clinic, which I'm sure is very exciting. Looking forward to the rest of 2024, what are you excited for and kind of what is next for this program? Yes, we are so excited about the new mobile dental clinic. Uh, thanks to a grant from the Mother Cabrini Health Foundation, we are so grateful for the support. We we have a new dental clinic uh, with top-of-the-line equipment in this way this year and also for many more years, we will be able to continue to provide services, you know, with high quality and and make these services sustainable. So for that for the short and long term, and also for this year uh, in February, is very special because February uh, is National Children Dental Health Month, and it's a time dedicated to raising awareness about the importance of children's dental health. Of course, it's February, but we should do it the rest of the year too, right? To make sure that uh, parents, caregivers, or teachers understand the importance of us together, right? Helping the children in, in our community to, to have good oral health and good, good habits, you know, for now and for the rest of their lives, you know. Mm -hmm. And like you just mentioned, February is National Children's Dental Health Month. Um, what is the importance of raising awareness um, for children's dental health? And if there are any children listening, do you have any dental hygiene tips for them? Well, yes, uh, for everyone, <laughs> I would say for children, but also for their uh, parents, caregivers, and teachers. First, brush your teeth. You know, help children learn how to brush their teeth at least twice a day. Very important, at least twice a day, number one. Number two, diet. Avoid eating sugary drinks and snacks to prevent dental cavities. Number three, visit the dentist regularly, at least twice a year. So these are the very basics. And most of the children, if they are listen, listening to us, uh, they receive dental education at the schools. We have um, an educator who goes and shows them how to brush and everybody receives a toothbrush from us. So not only we show them, it's very interactive. They also get the toothbrush and they could continue brushing at home, hopefully. The other important part is that 
to deliver our services, we need financial support. Uh, a new mobile dental clinic is wonderful. And then we need to pay salaries. We need to buy dental supplies. So we will appreciate and we appreciate the support of our current partners in the community and donors. And, and I encourage, you know, new donors also to join us, you know, by becoming a, a monthly donor or making a donation. We will make sure we will use the funds to to improve the oral health of the children in our community. That was Dr. Cecilia Ascara on National Children's Dental Health Month. I'm Marin Scotton for Radio Catskill. Thank you so much, Marin, for that. Thank you to also Chris Rowley earlier. And that does it for the local edition. We'll be back here on Monday. Do this all over again. On Monday, we'll be talking about the O&W Rail Trail with the county. The Snow Trail, as they call it. And then we'll check in with New York Focus. Talking about the new village law that was passed in Albany. All that is coming up for you on Monday. If you ever miss a show, we have a podcast. Listen to us. Anyway, you find your favorite podcast. Search for WJFF Radio Catskill, the local edition. Find us on social media, also at WJFF Radio Catskill. Everyone, stay safe. Have a good night, Lucy. You're listening. You were listening to the local edition on the Empire Station with the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. Until next week. Bye bye.